What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chat. This is episode number 135. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? I can't help it anymore. I got to talk about our preview card. <laughs> you know what time it is. Uh, I am very, very happy to announce that we have finally gotten a preview card. That's right. We are here to spoil Elish Norn, Mother of Machines. The, the set is all about her. Uh, I know everyone's hyped about it. So uh, we got a pretty sweet version. I, I think you're going to like it. Um, we should just talk about this now, right? <laughs> Hold on. What's that? Hold on. Uh, I'm getting that a version of this has already been spoiled. Uh, hold uh, on, actually. Five or so, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting an update. It appears that eight versions have been spoiled. <laughs> Uh-oh, it looks like someone beat us to it. We'll, we'll get there next time. <laughs> All right, this week is our uh, latest entry in the Back to Basics series. This is something we try to revisit every now and then. This week we're talking about Sealed. So if you've been curious about how Sealed events work or you're looking to up your Sealed game, this is going to be a great episode for you. But before we get into all of that, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not already in the Discord, check that out. It's the best place to be to chat all things MTG and just join the rest of the Traficionado community. You get to chat with us, share your trophy decks, share your picks, um, and just talk about all the different things. We're having a real blast in the spoiler season channel right now talking about all these new spoilers that are popping up and uh, as we get some of these more high-res versions of cards that have been spoiled ages ago. So <laughs> that's the best place to do that. Check out the link to that in our episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Again, huge thanks to all of our patrons who support us each and every week. We are beyond grateful for all of you. Thank you so much for your support. Perks over there include things like our draft doctor series, stickers, show notes, our pre-show recordings, and our draft chaff hero cards sent right to you, signed by us and usually altered in some way by Ben. And if you're if you're not so interested in, you know, recurring support in the way that Patreon does it, but you still want to support the show check out shop.draftchaff.com where you can pick up all sorts of different merchandise that we have over there. Uh, big fan of the sweatshirts and shirts and stuff. So check that out over there as well. All right. On to our cracker draft type thing this week, we've got a Dom remastered, uh, pack one, pick one. Yeah. This format is sick. So I got to draft it. I got to play sealed a few times over the weekend, uh, and I'm going to be participating in the, uh, the limited RCQ that's coming up. Uh, oh my God. That's like in two days. I think, I guess that's tomorrow by the time this episode comes out. Uh, I got to prep a little, a little more for that. But this is a really, really cool format. Um, it, it's kind of old school, you know, and that makes sense because it's made of a bunch of cards from throughout Dominaria's history. But we're going to kind of uh, fly through this pack, talk about some of the standout cards in it. Uh, there's an invigorating boon in this pack that's a, a, a kind of cycling enchantment payoff. It's pretty cool. Uh, I saw an opponent that had two of these once. Uh, I did win that, that match, so <laughs> I don't know how good it is. Um, there's a slippery karst. It's uh, a cycling land. There's a series of cycling lands in this set. Uh, one for each color. You pay two to cycle and they eat to be tapped. They're fun. Sandstorm, uh, which is actually, it has a home uh, and it's as hate against all the one ones. It's one green. It kills, uh, it deals one damage to each attacking creature. It's an instant, of course. So there's a, there's a lot of go wide strategies, red and black and sometimes even blue can play out a bunch of one ones and really go wide in the early turns. It's like a goblin sub theme. Uh, there's even, if I remember, empty the warrens as a, as a storm payoff. So I don't know if your opponent is trying to make a bunch of one ones. Sandstorm is good, but if you want removal, the next card's way better. Chain lightning. It's not lightning bolt. It's a sorcery speed thing, and it has a weird little funky double red paying to copy and recast. Whatever. It's basically a lightning bolt. Uh, three to the face, three to a creature. This is a great rate. Uh, pretty strong pick out of the pack so far. 
Ember Beast, it's a big, uh, a big beater. It's whatever. Aquamiva, sometimes you want to discard outlet. This is a two mana, one, three. You can discard a card to switch its power and toughness. Occasional Javelineers, this is one of the older magic creds that I that I own. I think I got one in like an intro deck that had, I want to say it was like Elspeth versus Venser, maybe? It was like a real old dual deck and it had a bunch of Occasional Javelineers in it. A little one mana, one, one. You can uh, tap it to deal damage to something uh, and then it's like a one-off thing. It's pretty good, given that there's a bunch of X1s in this format. Wild Dogs. <laughs> I had a, I, I tried playing this one over the weekends. It's one mana, two, one. Uh, good, right? It's in green, especially. They don't usually get those. But it also says at the beginning of your upkeep, if a player has more life than each other player, the player with the most life gains control of Wild Dogs. So it's not uh, not always good. It does have cycling for two mana, so you can pitch it if uh, if your life total is way lower than your opponent's. If you're beating down, it's great. If you can gain life, it's great. But I, don't know, I took the dogs out because <laughs> uh, they weren't very good. This is a solar blast. It's a format of deal three. It's good. It is cycling and then it pings something when you do. Uh, again, this can kill X1s or bigger things. Urborg Uprising, five mana. Return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand and draw a card. Five mana for like a triple card advantage thing. It's slow. You could do it in this format, but I never play more than one. Out of the comments here, uh, clear chain lightning, right? Yeah, I don't really think I'm considering anything else. The rest of these comments are pretty weak. Yeah, removal is also not great in this set. You'll notice there's not really anything else. There's the Sandstorm, kind of, and the Solar Blast. Red has some decent burn stuff, um, especially things that can go face. Even just Chain Lightning and Solar Blast can both go face. Chain Lightning, clearly the, the pick here, just so efficient. Now, our uncommons are strong. Uh, Flame Tongue Kavu, the iconic card, three and a red, four, two. When it enters the battlefield, it deals four to a creature. That's just... You know, that's great. <laughs> Even by yeah. modern standards. Probably would take it over the chain lightning, to be honest. Yeah, I think I would as well. There's a dread return, two black black, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. And then it has flashback sack three creatures. Mm, there's some token stuff, but it's a pretty niche vector. It's hard to cast. Flame Tongue Kavu is just, you know, clearly it. Now, our last uncommon here is Squirrel Nest. This is a, a funky one for those that don't know it. One green green, it's an aura, and it enchants a land, and the land gains a tap to create a 1-1 one, one green squirrel. Uh, there's not exactly land hate. There's actually maybe a few. Uh, and there's a bit of permanent hate, but, you know, it's still limited. You can't jam a bunch of that into your deck and hope it works. So this thing will probably never get removed. And sometimes getting rid of a land to just make a squirrel every turn is good. There's also a card in this set that uh, untaps a land. Uh, it's like a common, um, like, mana dork type thing. It untaps a land. Uh, Wombo combo with Squirrel Nest. Oh, yeah, for sure. I kind of feel like there was a flavor fail here. I feel like this this card should have been just green, green and enchant forest. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> you're going to have to uh, go pretty far back in time to roast those designers. Yeah, still probably just going to slam the Kavu here, though, over over scroll nest. I mean, it's a good card, but yeah, it, it's not a Kavu. But our rare is a pretty iconic card with some pretty iconic art. It's Birds of Paradise. It's green for an 01 flyer tap to add a mount of any color. Sick card. If I'm playing to win, I probably still take the Kavu. If I'm playing for vibes, Birds of Paradise. <laughs> probably for value too. I would imagine it's probably the most valuable card in the in the pack. Um, yeah, not not by too much. This reprint has actually brought down a lot of fair. the prices for those big commander players out there. A lot of the tutors, like Worldly Tutor, uh, Vampiric Tutor, those are going to be pretty cheap now comparatively. Um, and I guess you could pick up Force of Wills and uh, Yog Moths and some of the other big mythics like Urza. Those will be a little cheaper now, too. Still kind of pricey, though. All right. On to our Teferi Tibble. This is a Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So, Ben, how's your week been? It's been all right. 
the highlight has been the past weekend, which I'm going to get to more in a bit, but attending SCG, SCG Con New Jersey, a lot of fun. Uh, got to hang out with old friends, new friends, play a lot of magic. Uh, something kind of cool happened. A, a passing judge noticed my sleeves and uh, was like, oh, hey. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hey, you know, you know, those guys, uh, you know, those idiots that talk on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, Sean, if you're listening, uh, I believe your name is Sean. I, met, I learned a lot of names over the weekend, but I believe your name was Sean. Uh, thanks for checking us out. My Tybalt, uh, I have uh, after this show, let's see, we're recording. It's around like 6 p.m. now. Uh, I've got, I think, like 60, 60 exams to grade tonight. Uh, just the, the way the scheduling worked out, I really want my students to be able to do corrections. And the end of the marking period was it's like close approaching that we have midterms next week. So I told my students, all right, I'm just going to buckle down. I'll get them done. And uh, yeah, I've kind of doomed myself with this, but someone's got to do it. So the students will be thankful. Uh, I just kind of lose one night. <laughs> so what's up with you? Um, my Teferi, I guess I'll start there is that I've been actually sticking to my workout regimen that I set for myself a little while ago. Um, feeling generally pretty good. I've gotten past that point where I'm like, ugh, I have to go to the gym today. Uh, which is, which is a good sign. Um, yeah. feeling good about that. My tibble is that I'm in kind of a small rut, like mentally right now. It's just been so, like over the last couple of days here and it's nothing like serious, but it's enough to kind of knock me off my stride. I was feeling pretty good for quite a while. Hmm. So hopefully that goes away soon. Would you call it like the, uh, the, the midwinter dip maybe? Yeah. I mean, it's a mix of probably that and like some personal stuff that I won't get into on the show, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just, just a mix of things, I think. All right. On to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Dorigan of past left drafts. Check them out on YouTube if you haven't, cause his content's great. Um, the question is, is there too much, too little, or just the right amount of focus on commander these days? I was like, cool. Who, who, who. Are we going to make people mad with our answer to this one? <laughs> this is Magic the Gathering where you make people mad. If we don't make people mad, we're not doing our job. And by that, I mean we're probably not talking about Magic because it's virtually impossible not to anger Magic players. Uh, I, was, I was tweeting about this this week. Like, I saw people were getting upset about the number of Elish Norn printings. And yeah, we mm-hmm. okay, we didn't actually get the spoiled Elish Norn. Next time. Um, it, it, I just like... I don't know. The, the phrase touch grass pops into my head. <laughs> like uh, we have, there, there are, there are real problems in the world and we have this game that allows us to escape them even just a little bit for a few hours, maybe a few hours a week or more or less. And you want to tell me that you're going to spend time like arguing with strangers on the internet about whether like about the art of that game. Like it just, when you take a step back out of it, like the, the echo chamber can really start bumming you out, you know? And people talking about like, all uh, I don't know, the people that still comment grief or uh, grief, greed under all of Watsi's posts, even the ones that are like spoiler posts, ones where like new designers have like poured their heart and soul into creating cool new game pieces. And then people still are commenting greed. Yeah, of course they're greedy. It's a company. Like <laughs> that's what capitalism is. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think uh, my experience in teaching has taught me that if you surround yourself with that kind of negative energy you'll find yourself perpetuating it. Uh, and that really you have to come, you have to actively combat that or else you become kind of just a bummer, you know, but anyway, uh, back to the question, I think it's somewhere between too much and right amount. Take for example, Mondrak glory dominus, the, uh, the white dominus, the only one we've seen so far, we know we're getting one for every color. We've seen all the arts and they're awesome. Just super stunning. Uh, they're, they're kind of like gods almost, uh, the way they described them, seems like they've almost risen up out of Mirrodin in response to the Phyrexians. Like 
and then rather than being created by them. Uh, I think one of the stories that Black one was like, I don't know, I, I think like Atraxa's uh, steward Ix- Ixil um, like visited and was like, oh, this thing, this thing scares even me. <laughs> so uh, Mondrak Glory Dominus, it is a Phyrexian horror, uh, but it's a, a legendary token doubler that's clearly designed for commander. Right. It can even give itself indestructible, like to prevent board wipes and stuff. Um, but it is it's a uh, anointed procession on a body like this is clearly meant to be a mono white tokens commander. Is it going to have a significant effect on limited environment? I don't know. I mean, this thing looks like a pain to play against. Right. Yeah, I think that's going to kind of have to shake out with this card in particular, with how many like tokens you can generate, bef- like ignoring this card in the first place. Like how many sources do we have to actually make tokens? Um mm-hmm. But this is the one that's worded such that it generates twice that number of tokens, right? Not that many plus one. Yeah, this is a, a doubler, a full-on doubler. Yeah, and that's yeah, such, so that's yeah. that's gonna get messy in any situation. That like there are definitely going to be decks if there are other cards in the set that generate tokens, which I'm sure there are some somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it there de- there definitely will be decks that could be built around this card. I don't imagine it's gonna have a massive impact on the limited environment, but. It's a mythic, it right? It feels like, like a, yeah, it feels like a, a commander plant for sure. Yeah. And like, it's super efficiently costed. I don't know. I think where this does become too much focus is when you really get these mega bombs that start really altering the dynamic. Like, I, I honestly can't even think of stuff back to, I guess, like, honestly, Dream Trawler is still the one that sticks in my head is the most overbearing thing. But that wasn't even designed for commander. I, I'm thinking when we see a true commander plant that's really starting to bother us, we'll know. You know, they've skirted this recently. Um, think like DMU, where the, the bomb rares were pretty limited focused and they were efficiently costed and they they played into the limited environment, like domain and the way that the, the double pipped ones are balanced. That was all fantastic. So they're clearly thinking about this. But I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm a hypocrite for thinking this, but I think I think I saw like a Frank Karsten tweet and he was saying that there have been more legendary creatures printed in like the last year than the last like 10 or like the first like 15 years of magic or something like that. It was a pretty staggering statistic. Too much of a good thing tends to be a bad thing. I don't know. I don't know if we've hit that point yet, but it's cool that everyone can find commanders that they like. It's cool that we have different archetypes. I don't know. Something about overabundance feels like it's going to cheapen the appeal. Yeah, it's an interesting approach to that problem, I think. The the way I'm thinking about this is like, I don't think I care. Like, okay, there are certain situations where, yes, having the legendary keyword or super type on a creature makes an impact on the game, ignoring whatever is in the text box, right? There, you could have two cards that are functionally the same thing. Maybe they're both just bears, two mana, two twos. One's a legend, one's not. Okay, sure, the legendary one in most applications is probably worse because you can only have one of them on the board. That said, I don't particularly care how many legends they print. I don't. Like I respect Frank Carson and I, I, I also thought that stat was staggering, but I don't really see how it matters in terms of like how many legends we have printed. What matters to me more is that we get these plants in sets that don't feel like they belong. Hmm. And I'm not saying that Dominus is, is exactly one that doesn't feel like it belongs. It, it does feel very clearly that it was a commander card, but when they're printing separate commander product, I don't understand why they inject cards that are designed for commander into a full set. Like why not just put that in the, the product that you're already printing. Yeah. Maybe not even a pre-com, but for like commander. commander legends. Right. So it's still like widely available yeah. in, in boosters. And it may just be, it may just be that it's uh they don't have enough of those releases to make regular changes the way they want to, to the format. Maybe they have to inject certain cards in other sets and other products because 
Otherwise, it would take too long to get updates to a format. Maybe. Um, I tend to agree that too much of a good thing is a bad thing in most settings, but I don't I don't know that we've hit that with Commander yet. I think I think that it uh, as long as it stays away from like genuinely hurting limited environments, I don't particularly care. I'm sure standard or like other constructed players may have a different approach to that, but I don't really play those formats. So yeah. Commander and Limited are the only two form the only sets of formats that I really care about. So I think uh I think it's fine where it is for now. It's veering toward too much, but I think we're, we're okay. So before we get into our main topic, I want to give a quick recap of Star City Games Con New Jersey, because it was awesome. I uh, played a bunch of great limited, including some sealed and draft over the weekend. So uh, let me let me walk through it. 9 a.m. on Saturday. I was there for, for a day. Uh, I played sealed Dominary Remastered, the, the uh, pack we just saw. Uh, honestly, I'm hoping for better luck this weekend at the RCQ. It's a very low power format. There's not a lot of removal spells. There's some tempo-y stuff, and uh, aggro decks can be good if you flood the board uh, fast, but the bombs can really turn it around. Uh, I, I got absolutely flattened by Lyra Dawnbringer. So was, uh, sometimes you get Baneslayered, right? Um, after yep. that, uh, let's see. So Pessimistic Corn and Ratafia, shout out to them in the Discord. Uh, we all got Chipotle, played some Super Sealed. We split a, a box of uh, DMR and built decks out of 12 packs each. Those are some... Those are some decks. Uh, Ratafi had a sick storm deck. Um, it was it, pessimistic. Core tried uh, at beating through my my double windborn muse deck. Um, he successfully, I should mention, he did beat me. <laughs> but um, uh, windborn muse, it's a four mana two four flyer, and it says creatures can't attack you unless their controller pays two for each creature. Kind of like a what's that card? Something. Ghostly prison. Yeah, ghostly prison. Uh, on a two-four flyer, I had two of those, and I had a bunch of counter spells, and I built like a control deck that also had a endurance victory or something like that. It, it's a it's an enchantment that says if you control or if you have fifty more or more life at your upkeep, you win the game. So I was trying to go for like the really slow. Not it, it was nonsense. It was fun. Uh, I had some sweet opens in my box. Got an Urza's Incubator and Full Art, a Worldly Tutor, Vampiric Tutor. It was a good time. Now the, the real highlight was Innistrad Draft. So it was Dark Ascension, Innistrad, Innistrad. Very, very sweet format. Uh, pack one, pick one. I slammed <laughs> the Mythic in my pack that I'd honestly never seen before. It, it was. It's not often that you counter a magic card that you're not familiar with, but uh, it's, it's a rare treat. Uh, Elbrus, the Binding Blade. It's a seven mana equipment at Mythic. It has one to equip, and it says when the equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, flip it. it the only buff it gives is like plus one, plus oh. So you flip it. It's a 13-13, like, flying, trample, like, it, nonsense, giant mega demon. Uh, I wound up in, like, a black-green morbid deck with uh, a Bloodline Keeper, which I later learned was $15. I, I had no idea. I, I picked up a money card. Uh, it's like a vampire plus two plus two lord going straight into my Edgar Markov deck. Uh, and just some good removal. I, I went to one, um, but it was a really fun time. And just, just drafting Innistrad was sick. Just, like, the old cards and just the, the, the vibes, uh, really good. Some of the random things, um, I picked up some foil thought seizes. I, I traded in uh, some some cards that I wasn't really using. Uh, these aren't any foil thought seizes. These are Junji Ito, uh, the famous manga artist, uh, thought seizes. They're they're gorgeous. They're nuts. I've never seen a card look like this before. It caught my eye immediately in the case, and I was like, I gotta have this for modern. Uh, I got my my full art batter batter skull signed by RK Post, the uh, the artist of the card. That was kind of cool. Um, even got a nice uh, art print from him. Upgraded my limited kit. I've got a nice new uh, deck box. One of these uh, nice Game Genic ones. We're not sponsored by Game Genic, but God, I wish that'd be sick. <laughs> so I've got a nice uh, full size limited kit now, and uh, it was just great. Um, 
just it's nice to be in that in that energy after like the whole day you start getting kind of antsy right because it's like the the tournament air and there's a lot of people in there but saw some old friends there that I hadn't expected to see made some new ones and uh I don't know it, it got me even more excited for MTG Philly which it looks like I'll also be at so nice if you're on the fence about going to MTG Philly and we're interested in meeting both of us maybe this is a, a kick to one side of that fence yeah come hang out all right, so that brings us to part two of this episode, and this is really kind of the meat of the episode. Uh, we wanted to give you kind of that breakdown of, of Ben's day at, at CGCon. It's not often we hear about in-person events anymore at a large scale. It just feels like really weird almost to hear like a tournament breakdown like that, but yeah, uh, really glad you got to go to that. I'm really excited for MTG Philly as well. But let's talk sealed. So you did some sealed at that event, but we want to go through all the different sealed basics. It's one of the greatest formats in Magic, in our opinions, and probably in the opinions of a lot of other people. One of our particular specialties, Ben and I have run quite a few two-headed giant sealed tables in our day. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to pre-releases, you need to know how to sealed. And it if you're if you're going to some of these in-person events, a lot of them, the main event or a lot of the side events happen to be sealed as well. And it just so happens that we both have a few pre-release wins between us and we've had quite a bit of success with sealed in the past. So let's, let's kind of break this down. What we think about when we go into a new sealed event, what types of sealed events we can get into and kind of all the bits and pieces that go with all those things. Right. So let's start with pre-release. This is the most casual of all sealed environments. And honestly, one of the most fun ways to play magic, just Full stop. I think if you're trying to get a friend into magic, pre-release is one of the better times to do it because everyone is learning the new cards, not just your friend. Uh, they, they they get everything they need. They get a deck box. They get a spin down. They get cards. They even hopefully get some cool, uh, cool opens and like a special promo rare that they can kind of identify with. Um, what, what more do you want? You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and like Ben mentioned, everybody's still kind of learning the cards, especially as we kind of get this approach back to where, they're not really releasing the sets on arena ahead of pre-release anymore. Nice. And so, so that kind of gets us to that point where, yeah, everybody is actually learning the cards. I kind of ruined pre-releases for me for a little bit there where it was like, oh yeah, I've already played with all these cards for like two or three days on arena. It's like we already know what the busted yeah. commons and uncommons are. Yeah. Although I think something is changing with this next pre-release. I think now it's just, I think cards are like legal to play as of pre-release. If I remember seeing, right. It's kind of strange, yeah. but I guess it's no longer pre-release. It's, release i don't know it doesn't matter constructed (laughs) whatever that brings us to the next type of pre-release or the next type of sealed event i should say is two-headed giant and one that again ben and i tend to prefer i think this is probably our favorite format in magic this can be pre-release or it can be regular sealed a lot of pre-release or a lot of uh, local game stores will have at least one two-headed giant pre-release event that you can get yourself into but this involves basically both players you have two players who sit down open their sealed pools and then you build two decks out of your combined 12 packs, right? Mm-hmm. So you you both open six packs like a normal sealed, but then you can mix and match your pools as you see fit. You can trade cards between players, can kind of uh, mix how your decks work together. And, and essentially that kind of changes the way you want a deck build, right? You want one deck to be complementary to the other deck. Yeah, it tends to work out to have one super assertive deck somewhere in the red, green, white combo. Uh, and then one deck in the more reactive side in the blue black white combo um this of course varies based on the format but you know figure out what the aggro deck is maybe like the best aggro deck you can build and the best control deck you can build with like counter spells and permission and removal um you just want to have a balance between the players right you want to make sure both decks are like functional on their own 
But maybe say you have a really good red white beatdown deck, but you just didn't open any removal. Well, if your uh, your partner's blue black deck is just full of removal, then it kind of works out in the end. Yeah, and I'll throw in two. One thing to keep in mind with two out of giant events in particular is while you share a sealed pool and you share a life total, you don't share battlefields. So you can't block for your your partner and they can't block for you. So you do still need ways to protect yourself. We have had situations with those like super heavy control decks where one player can get beat down while the other one has a board presence because you can't block for each other. Mm -hmm. And just to reiterate, you have to you can use all 12 packs together. I remember, I think it was like the first time we tried doing it. We weren't sure if we could. And I know we've played against opponents that didn't know you could combine (laughs) all to make the same one. Now, these decks tend to be pretty good. I I mean, you're taking rather than than the best, say, 23 cards out of six packs, you're taking the best 23 cards for your deck out of 12 packs. So maybe not literally twice as good, but you'll usually wind up with a deck with more rares and more synergy. Um... I don't know. This just leads to a slightly different game plan. Uh, And and you also do want to make a note when you're opening cards and even looking at the spoiler, uh, pay close attention to anything that says each opponent in two headed giant specifically uh, that damages each of them. So, you know, a a pinger that says tap to deal one damage to each opponent. That's much more effective when your opponents start at 30 life uh, and it deals really two to them. Yeah. Again, they share a life total. So when you're hitting both opponents, you're you're essentially doubling whatever that effect is. So if we're talking about regular sealed, non-pre-release, uh, there's kind of two different versions of this. There's regular rules enforcement level, and then there's competitive rules enforcement level. So regular rules enforcement level sealed is kind of the usual sealed tournament, right? You receive six packs, uh, but you don't get a promo or the usual pre-release kit stuff. Sometimes I find myself remembering this as I'm sitting down for a sealed thing. I don't know, there's that extra special flair you get with pre-release. Uh, just the fun of opening up the the pack uh, and and seeing what promo you got and and token and and other cool stuff that's in there maybe uh, normal sealed you don't get any of that you just get six packs. I would recommend bringing a draft kit. I always have sleeves on me, uh, forty three to be specific. I always keep a few spares for maybe if I open some flashy mythic rare or if one of them breaks maybe. <laughs> I did have a I did have one time when I got a paper cut midway through and I got blood on some of my sleeves. <laughs> so it, it does actually help to have uh, have spares. Uh, make sure you bring some spin down or whatever you're going to use to uh, keep track of life. Maybe like a life pad. A lot of players use electronic ones. I mean, to get one of those. I should do that soon. Um, other junk like tokens, uh, spacic lands, actually. Uh, th- those are the ones that I keep in my <laughs> my draft kit. But you can bring your own basic lands if you want to. Uh, I do use basics because they're the planetary ones only. You know, um, I'm a connoisseur here. But uh, if you have preference on basic lands or, you know, they always have lands there for you. Uh, also, don't forget a play mat, right? And if you have a box that you're using, uh, make sure you've got room for your sideboard, especially in sealed where maybe some of the answers for your opponent's cards are more narrow. You want to have a, a deck where you can easily access your sideboard. Um, you know, th- maybe don't just bring like a, a tiny deck box. Yeah. And if this is like a normal game in a store where you've got uh, other players around or maybe it's a tournament setting, almost always somebody at, at an actual like WotC um, sanctioned event, there will be a judge on hand. Feel free to call a judge over for any, even like tiny, what seems like a tiny dispute. This is a game. If you're in an, a, a tournament setting, you're playing for for stakes. It it should be no issue for either player to call over a judge and just get things sorted out. Um, but at regular REL, things are still generally pretty casual. So you know, do with that information what you will, but don't be afraid to call a judge when you need to. 
Yeah, sometimes just a little like take back or if your opponent knocks a card off the top of their deck and they're like, oh, can I just put this back? And you don't think they saw it or it doesn't really matter, then it's whatever. Now, competitive REL, sometimes just called comp. Uh, it's a little more intense there. So at comp REL, it's all the same stuff, except the cards you open during sealed won't be yours. So this is something I had to remind myself of because I believe that's how it'll be this weekend for my, my RCQ. Uh, the person will open six packs of sealed. So you'll sit across from someone usually. You'll each open six packs. You will uh, mark on a on like a long checklist that's specific for the set. You'll mark down every single card that was opened in those six packs. Rares, foils, everything. Um, and then you will do this to prevent people from like inserting their own cards from home. You know, someone's got the old Baneslayer Angel up the sleeve trick. They don't want to prevent that. So uh, once you've done this, you will trade piles with usually the person across from you. Uh, and that way the head judge has like a list of every single card that was opened in your pool. So if there's something sus going on, something a little sneaky, uh, they can just come over and check it out. Everything else still applies, though. Uh, maybe be a little more, eh, a little more willing to call a judge in in, in comp REL. Um, that's why they're there, and there will be judges if you're playing comp REL. They're there. They're prepared for this. They've studied the format. They're there to help, and they should be called over to resolve small things like drawing an extra card or um, a life total mismatch. They probably want to know about that. All right, so that gets us through like different types of events where you may see sealed. So you're, you've picked your event, you kind of have things figured out, you know what, what, what competitive or what REL level you're playing at. What do you do? You've got six packs in front of you. Where do you start? So first off, you're going to take your packs, right? You've got six packs. This isn't draft. You don't open them one by one and, and kind of pass them around. <laughs> you open all six. And you could, though. You can pass them to you, me. You, I'll take the you, cards. You can definitely do that, I suppose. This is not uh, a comp REL. Uh, right. <laughs> I don't want a game loss. Right. But so you'll open all, typically you'll just open all your packs. Um, they will have some stores or, or event halls will have, you know, somewhere to throw the trash from the packs. Just be considerate. You're usually packed in with a bunch of other people. Don't just start tossing trash all over the place while people are trying to get their pools together. Common sense and, and consideration here. But yeah, get go nuts. Open those packs. Something kind of cool at the SCG Con. They asked everyone to open all six packs immediately uh, without looking at the at the packs. Uh, so they could collect all the trash immediately and get it all out of our way so we had more room for deck building. It makes sense in like a pack convention center. Definitely. So the way I usually approach it is I start by sorting out some of my power, right? Uh, I sort by power level and I sort by color. I guess we could say that the cards with the uh, longest vector strength, uh, I tend to sort out to the top of each color. So I, I set out two rows of Wooberg uh, going all the way down uh, white, blue, black, red, green, and then multicolor and colorless at the end. I'll set aside things like lands and supplemental cards, like, I don't know, contraptions or battles or who knows what else. Those, those types of things I'll put over at the end. So uh, the top row, I'll, I'll put anything that would pull me into that color or sometimes vector, depending on the texture of the set, right? Uh, and then the bottom row, I'll start laying out the rest of the stuff. So ideally, by the time I've done this, once I lay everything out, I can see, ooh, I've got like four or five cards in my upper red and uh, white piles that look pretty good. Green and blue, I only have like one or two. Black, I have a few, but depending on those, it might help pull me towards a certain colors. And that's, uh, you know, you have to build a deck, right? So <laughs> you got to figure out what colors are going to make it. Yeah, typically, and, and Ben takes a slightly different approach to this than I usually do. Typically, when I open my packs, I just sort them by color, period. I don't care about the power level right away. And I'm looking for, do I have enough cards not even necessarily playables, just enough cards in a color to make a deck. Some sealed mm -hmm. pools, you won't have that. And so it'll, it quickly kind of helps me eliminate 
Um, a few colors, usually you'll see two or three that are contenders for what your deck might look like. And the other two you can kind of get rid of or think about as potential splashes for, for later on. Once you've got those things sorted, whether you've sorted them the way Ben has sorted them or the way that I've sorted them, the next step is typically find your bombs. These are the things that are going to pull you into a given color. These are the top, like most powerful cards in your packs. Typically sealed is a slower format than draft just by nature of people being able to play all their best cards, which tend to be kind of bigger cards. They're slower. They're, they're game warping in some ways, shape or form. And sometimes the decks are actually less structured, right? Because in draft, you're, you're finally tuning your deck as you go along this year, handed a big pile of cards and tried to make, try to make something work from them. So you kind of want to just look at the bombs in those colors, figure out which direction those cards are kind of taking you and then see if you've got the support in the color to make those bombs work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, if you open, I don't know, some completed planeswalker, there's a good chance you want to try playing it. A bunch of them are really, really strong. The new Nissa, for example, that thing is nuts. So, I mean, that can help stabilize you against the more aggressive starts. Um, and that's good. <laughs> uh, that's one of the reasons why it tends to be slower than, than draft. Um, but really, you don't only want to look for bombs. You also want to look for removal and early plays, too. Yeah, essentially, you're looking for whatever color or cross-section of maybe two colors gives you the most bombs, the most removal, the most early plays. So then you got to build your deck, right? And uh, you can't just jam all your stuff into a deck and call it a day. Uh, you should consider the commons that will wind up in your deck, too. Maybe you do have a great bomb in green, but you don't have any green removal spells and no green two drops, no ramp, no nothing. Maybe you shouldn't be playing green then. This is when sealed hurts, right? When you have some really strong bombs in some like solid colors, but you just don't have the support for it. Uh, you have to find a balance, right? You have to look at the kind of expected value of building a deck around a card that, yeah, you can resolve it, but sometimes maybe your opponent will run you over before you can resolve it. I mean, we say that sealed is slower. It means that you have a little more time to do stuff, but that also means that the aggro decks might be better too. Like the ones that are really aggressive, uh, if you see an aggro deck in sealed, it means the player is probably new to it or very, very good and they know what they're doing. Yeah, and and likely, I mean, you you do have the kind of curse of sealed which is some people will just open better pools than you will and a more a more straightforward pool or a more tightly wound vector pool overall for the car the colors they end up playing sometimes that happens it's part of sealed you kind of just have to take those punches as they come Mm -hmm. but to ben's point if you do see somebody playing an aggressive deck and the assumption is that they know what they're doing that probably means it's a really tight pool and their their aggressive deck is is looking to close the game out really early Now, a lot of sealed environments are slow enough that you can afford a splash color, right? Uh, Keep an eye on your fixing, right? Like if you open dual lands, but in sealed, sometimes card draw can be fixing or the game going long enough can be fixing, you know? (laughs) Uh, It depends. If you're trying to splash, like say the new Atraxa, right? I would absolutely slam that in sealed. It's like, it's a seven mana, seven, seven flying vigilance, death touch lifelink. That's how you win games. With upside. Oh yeah. I forgot there's upside too. (laughs) That's how you win games of sealed, right? Massive haymakers. So I would absolutely jam that if I was like a base, like green black deck and I had like maybe one or two ways to fix totally play them, maybe play a, a a planes and uh, whatever I said, I was a planes and an Island too. Right. Cause you eventually will draw into them. Um, and that kind of gives you that, that, that nice inevitability. Um, 
something like an E-Wilds goes way up in Sealed. Uh, any kind of land that fetches, Terramorphic Expanse is also one. Any type of land that fetches to go get more lands, uh, that type of stuff is great. Yeah, now, uh, next point here is to consider your sideboard. This is something that I know I fall victim to quite a lot. You spend so much time with Sealed decks building and fine-tuning the deck and trying to get every last card to matter that oftentimes... I tend to forget that like, oh, I do have cards in my sideboard that I can pull in in between games and use to to really combat my opponent's game plan. You do have a sideboard, so use it when you're playing against tough to kill threats or you've you know, you've got big flyers on the other side of the board, some artifacts that you can't deal with or enchantments that your main deck can't deal with. You might want to look at some other colors to grab cards like naturalize or shoot down or maybe you're already in those colors and you know you have those in your sideboard, pull them in use them where they're effective and, and just, you know, cut your 23rd, 20, 22nd card and, and on sideboard after the match. So in general, we would still recommend playing 17 lands. Uh, you should probably have a reason not to, especially because in sealed versus draft, you will be playing uh, more heavy top end bombs here. You could definitely play a more aggressive 16 land deck if you're low curve enough or if your deck has some special features like maybe early card advantage or selection. Like I'm thinking like opt, right? If your deck has three opts, yeah, you can shave a land or two. Or you happen to have a lot of like one or two drop mana dorks. You can Mm -hmm. sometimes shave a land. Typically, though, just stick to the 17. Now, there's something that I see in sealed more than I think I should. Uh, This happens especially with newer players. There's this temptation to be on the draw because in sealed, people are thinking, oh, it's slower. I have more time. I want that extra card over my opponent. Um, yes, I would recommend not doing this. Uh, this isn't so far away from the usual draft environment that it all of a sudden becomes bad to be on the play. People like winning the die roll, right? There's a reason they like winning the die roll. Uh, unless you are an absolute master and you have evaluated your specific matchup and like looked at the cards in your deck. And I don't know, maybe if you are in a some kind of mid-rangey mirror and you have a million kill spells and your opponent has cheap threats and you know it lines up really well. I don't know. You have to be a master of the format to know when to be on the draw in sealed. I would not recommend doing this basically ever. You don't lose that much like win value by never doing this or you don't gain that much value by doing this. Hmm. you're better off just not doing this (laughs) i would recommend being on the play all the time even in slower sealed formats yeah maybe we should do a back to basics just on the play draw breakdown because i think there's a lot of and i've seen a lot from frank carson on this statistically speaking even in the formats where it's correct to be on the draw it's only correct by like very marginal amounts and so you're you're way better off just defaulting to always be on the play in every game every format Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're just better off if that's your default. I wish we knew people that were good with like data aggregation. I don't know. This feels like something where we could, <laughs> we could use their help. Yep. Too bad. We don't know anybody. All right. Yeah. On to, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, secret bits. <laughs> that, I mean, that's pretty much it on sealed. That, that is essentially what there is to think about when it comes to sealed. There's a lot less in terms of, you know, if you're, if you're used to draft, you haven't done much sealed. You don't really have to worry about signals or any of that kind of stuff. Like, the cards that you have in your pool are the cards you have available to build with. And so it's a lot more one player in that way when it comes to deck mm-hmm. building. Um, and there's a little bit more luck slash chance involved when it comes to opening the, the packs. But hey, you get that thrill of cracking packs and you get to build some pretty sweet decks. And the environment's just different because everybody's doing the same thing. So mm-hmm. big fan. Definitely give it a try if you haven't already. Oh, yeah. Uh, honestly, I, I might enjoy it a little more than draft. I don't know. It's, it's hard not to say draft is my favorite format. I mean, we're draft chef, right? But sealed, it's I think I have the most fun 
playing playing sealed or anything. And when you play enough sealed, yeah, you'll play a lot of sealed where your 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 pool is junk, right? <laughs> and you'll you'll get that pool where you opened two rare lands in like a useless cycle, and then like one commander plant that, that is unplayable, and then one like four and a half color rare that you can't cast. And I've seen all those pools. When you do it enough, though. You'll open the good ones too. And when you open the good ones, it's awesome. And it's been a while since I had a really good one. So if I could open it for the RCQ, that'd be pretty sick. I don't know. I guess we'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, we do have a new set coming out and that means spoilers. Yeah, there are some good ones. I actually made a prediction about a certain spoiler that I, <laughs> I was hoping uh, I would get right. But I was, I was basically on. Uh, let's talk about Sword of Forge and Frontier real quick. This is a big one. This is uh, a, a, another member of the sword cycle, the famous uh, sword of fire and ice, sword of light and shadow. So a three mana for a mythic artifact equipment, as always, it is equipped to, again, as always, gives the equipped creature plus two plus two. And this one is protection from red and green. So this is the red green sword. So whenever it deals damage to a player, equipped creature that is, uh, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play those cards this turn. You may play an additional land this turn. Wow, that's that's super slick design. Uh, my original version, my prediction was that it would exile the top three and then float green, green. Uh, <laughs> I was pretty close, but honestly, this is better. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I mean, gets around all the kind of issues you have with the exiling. And, and because it doesn't require like a mana activation to get the the trigger, you don't typically like you're, you're not as worried about I can't I have to cast those cards or play those cards this turn as opposed to next turn. So, yeah, it's pretty sleek, pretty slick. So. We, we should chat about uh, Staff of Completion, a mythic artifact. We were a little puzzled by this one before the show. We're, we're curious if the listener has any, any ideas that we're missing. So this is the completed version of Staff of Domination. So Staff of Completion, three mana artifact at mythic. It has tap, pay one life, destroy target permanent, you own. Hmm. I, uh, I don't know. I might be missing something on that. Uh, tap, pay two life, add one mana of any color. It taps for Phyrexian mana. That's cute. Um, it is tap, pay three life, proliferate that. All right. Now we're talking tap, pay four life, draw a card. Four is a lot of life. You can't do that too many times. If you can gain a lot of life, I'm thinking with like a three or four power life linker, then, you know, then this becomes really appealing. Uh, And then of course it has the usual uh, pay five generic mana, untap staff of completion. Hmm. I mean, it's cool that you can do multiple these a turn with five mana, but like, do you want to? <laughs> yeah, that's that starts to get into a weird spot. I mean, I could see, I can definitely see situations because toxic is a is an, a, a keyword in this format where you have like some toxic creatures doing their thing, giving your opponent poison counters, and then you play staff of completion, tap it to pro- tap it tap it to proliferate, untap it, tap it to proliferate, win the game. You know, I can see oh, yeah. that sort of thing happening. Otherwise, like I, you're never going to want to pay five mana to add two mana to your pool. <laughs> you're <laughs> not likely going to pay five mana to want to destroy two of your permanents. So maybe there's some combination of these things that you'll want to do. And I, I don't really ever see you wanting to pay eight life and five mana to draw two cards. Yeah. And that's not only five mana. That's the three to cast it too. This just well, seems... yeah, I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's already been on the board, but yeah. Yeah. Similar to the original staff of domination. Uh, very cool card. Just. It's very dirtily, you know? Yeah. In limited, I'll be surprised. I mean, maybe there's a, there is actual application for the destroy permanence you own effect. Um, I, I'm having a hard time coming up with any that seem relevant in limited format, but 
I haven't seen every card in the set yet. So um, we'll see. This will be one to keep an eye on, I think, just in terms of like, did we get it right kind of thing when it comes to the format breakdown? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be I'll be curious to see how this format evolves with this card in it. I also just want to throw out there. I was totally on the money with Jay's getting completed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been running around on Twitter that uh, all of the completed planeswalkers in the set, they're throwbacks to previous versions of the art. So this is clearly a callback to the Jace the Mind Sculptor art, except yep. now he's, well, he's spelling in Phyrexian. Uh, yeah. I'll let you read this one. This is a, uh, this is more your vibe, I think. Yeah. So this one is, oh wait, I can't read or pronounce Phyrexian. Hold on. Here's the English one. <laughs> <laughs> Jace the Perfected Mind. This is, two blue and then Phyrexian blue mana. So it could be two blue, blue or two blue and two life. He's obviously legendary planeswalker. He's completed and he has three abilities. The plus one is until your next turn up to one target creature gets minus three, minus zero minus two is target player mills three cards. Then if a graveyard has 20 or more cards in it, you draw three cards. Otherwise you draw a card kind of interesting. And then a minus X target player mills three times X cards. So Hmm. at first glance, I was like, this just isn't good. Like it's okay. Um, mm. where this gets good is when you can proliferate a bunch and then use that minus X like a million times. Yeah. Three times X. So at what point does this just one shot your opponent? Probably at like seven. I mean, I, I think like um, mill 21 is usually, I mean, that, 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 that's, that's probably enough to kill, <laughs> right? If it comes down like in the mid to late game, mill 21 cards, that'll, that'll usually yeah. do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, by turn four, your opponent's drawn like, yeah, like 11 cards. Mm-hmm. Or so, depending on whether or not the player draw. Um, in a in a limited deck, right? That that puts them like they're not dead to to twenty one, but um, pretty pretty close. Yeah, and any later than that, uh, yeah, it's just gonna kill them. Mm-hmm. There'll probably be some games where you just cast Jace for four, start upticking their biggest thing, like shrink it, and then just play like the the defensive game. I mean, if you're trying to attack through to this and you have to make inefficient attacks into the blockers or stuff i mean maybe this even opens up your i mean if you're playing jace you to start attacking with your toxic creatures right and then you're kind of winning the race there yeah i think um that kind of gets them on two fronts i i appreciate i actually think that the minus two on this card is generally just going to be like not something you want to look at i think that's a trap most of the time Mm -hmm. i think probably the the game plan you described is a little bit better where you just play it on three maybe you know, because you could technically play this on turn three, uh, plus it to keep your opponent's creatures at bay. Minus three, minus zero is nothing to snuff at. Like that does protect Jace pretty well. And then, yeah, once you have like, you know, eight loyalty on it, you just minus eight and they're dead. Mm-hmm. There's some other good planeswalkers in the set, uh, particularly Kaya and the Wanderer. They're both at rare and they're both really good if you can resolve them. They're expensive, really strong. We should probably wait for the rare roundup for that. Yeah, look forward to that. But that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Again, check out the Discord if you haven't already. We'd love to have you in there. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod or as I mentioned earlier, our merchandise shop at shop.draftchaff.com. And if you'd like to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at draftchaffpod. Thanks so much and we'll talk to you next week. One quick thing here. I finally got my new keyboard. It's a nice, nice. HyperX one. It's it's pretty sweet. Uh, I have it nice and synced up with with my my lighting setup already. But as I was doing the show notes this week, I noticed something. Now my last keyboard, the problem had been that you know I would I have all tea these all over like it. <laughs> you know, yeah, there was that. I did spill tea all over it. So I would like mistype things and have have like double letters here and there. 
especially in the C and M key, I guess they just got like a lot of use based on where the hand placements are, right? Uh, I guess with thumbs, I may have been pressing them at weird angles. I don't know. For whatever reason, they, that and the space bar, they all got pretty much uh, destroyed in my last keyboard from overuse. Uh, so I was thinking, all right, brand new keyboard. This is great. Um, I can't wait to type up the new show notes with my brand new keyboard. Uh, turns out I just suck at spelling <laughs> and typing. <laughs> Uh, not, not 100% of the typing issues were resolved by my new keyboard. All the double letterings, those were all resolved, and that was so much nicer. It's nice. Uh, also, the arrow keys uh, just didn't work anymore, and the numpad just didn't work anymore on my last one because of the infamous T-spill. Uh, so this one is fully functional. But um, I think uh, I might need to go download one of those old, like, learn-to-type <laughs> apps. <laughs> like, uh, uh, do you remember back in, like, fifth or fourth grade we did those? Sure. <laughs> Only vaguely. Yeah, just use uh, monkeytype.com. It'll be good.